I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. About half a million people are getting spinal fusions a year in America only. Wow. And the problem is that uh, this is a multi-billion, maybe even trillion dollar market. What's happening in the world of spine surgery can happen to you. If you don't have a back problem, you might. The way corporations has taken over the world of spine surgery, this is, this is not right. That everyone is Dr. Ardavan Aisley, and he is a spine surgeon. And he's the author of a new book called Corporate Spine, How Spine Surgery Went Off Track and How We Make It Right. You see, every year there's 500,000 people who have these spinal fusion surgeries where they use specific rods and screws into a patient's fused vertebrae as part of the procedure. The problem is, is that according to the medical literature, the screws provide little to no benefit for the patient, but they provide billions in profit for a handful of medical device companies. Yikes. So this is a really, like I said, if you have back pain or you are considering back surgery or someone in your life is considering back surgery, this is a really great podcast. It's pretty niche. You know, this is very specific to spinal surgery, but it's apparently a very large business and there are some nefarious things happening on the back end of these spinal fusion surgeries. I myself know a couple of people who have um, serious back injuries who don't know what to do. And if you've ever had a bad back or a sore back, you understand how consuming it is to your life. And what I hope to provide in this episode is um, an alternative. Um, definitely worth checking out the book if you're considering spinal fusion surgery, but uh, it is niche, and uh, but I think it's useful. You know, it's, it's one more episode that will illuminate an area of your life um, if you have problems with your back in the future. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Audubon Easley. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So I'm going to, I'm going to start right between the eyes here. Um, do you think of yourself a little bit as a spinal surgeon whistleblower? I've thought about that and I say no, because there's very big implications to use that word or not. Um, I will explain it later on. Once uh, we talk about what we're going to talk about, and uh, at the end, I'll explain why um, I don't want to be known as a whistleblower. Because uh, as I said, it has a very serious implications to use that word or not. Okay. Thank you for, for clarifying that as a, as a place to start. Um, sure. This is now everyone is leaning in a little bit because like, holy cow, what are, what are we going to be talking about today? Maybe we can start a little bit by starting with your background, um, your education, your work uh, as it pertains to to spines and spinal injuries. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I devoted a chapter in my book for my life. Um, I had a really hard time to include it or not. You know, you know, I, I talk about whatever I have to do. I'm very comfortable with sharing my life with other people. But in this case, I had to do that because somebody coming out and saying that hey look we got a problem in the world of spine surgery you got to know who that person is i mean where did how how did you come about this thing uh, you have to know that that's just part of it so i got into orthopedic surgery back in my uh, medical school uh, new york medical college in st vincent's hospital i was uh, i got into training in st vincent's hospital in new york city they closed it it does it's not open anymore but it one of the some of the very well-known scoliosis surgeons in the world. And I became orthopedic surgeon. 
after orthopedic surgery, I decided that I wanted to be a spine surgeon because I had met some of the professors that they were spine surgeons, and I really developed a very good relationship with them, and I got interested in spine surgery. And I applied and then got into Harvard University, a hospital called Brigham and Women's and Beth Israel Hospital, and I did my fellowship there. And then I finished in 2002. And I started my practice. I've been in practice since 2020 years. Mm. I'm, I'm struck by the title of the book, Corporate Spine. Maybe you can unpack that title for us a little bit. How did you end up picking that title? This is what happened. We knew bulk of the surgeries that we do is a surgery called fusion surgery. Spine is a bunch of bones that are stacked up on top of each other, and they're separated by these cartilage. We call them discs. When there's an injury, there's a damage, these discs can get injured and cause pain, back pain, leg pain. So the whole idea is that if you try non-operative treatments like therapy, uh, chiropractic care, injections, what we call non-operative treatment, and it doesn't work and the patient is in a lot of pain that they cannot go on like that, then they decide to proceed with surgery. Then the surgery, uh, the idea is that we will go in, take the disc out completely. Then we have to avoid the uh, fill, that the area that's uh, not there anymore because the disc is gone. So we put a piece of prosthesis right here and fuse the two vertebrae together. So the pain generated disc is gone and this area is stabilized. So we call the fusion surgery. This is an example of a what we call an L5-S1 fusion surgery. Uh, you go from the front to the prosthesis, you go to the back, drop two screws, what we call pedicle screws. So you drop them to the bone, and each of these pedicle screws have a tulip that accepts the rod. So you put two screws and connect them with the rod. Basically, you turn these two bones into one bone. And what happens is that this is like an internal cast. What's going to happen within the next four, five, six months, the bone is going to grow between the two bones through the middle of that prosthesis, and these two bones become one bone. Therefore, the fusion heals, becomes solidified. Well, what happens is that when we first started doing these surgeries, uh, there was a very difficult time in terms of healing the bones together. So we came up with these screws right around early 1990s. These screws came out. It started in France. Two surgeons came to America, and they presented their screw concept. So we started putting these screws starting... 90s or so, and they became very popular. Problem is that in the vertebrae, inside bone is what we call a cancellous bone. Outside, so, so if, I, if I have to say these vertebrae is like a shoebox, the outside shell is very strong, bone, but the inside bone is what we call cancellous spongy bone. Therefore, these screws, they get purchased from the spongy bone. So when the population get older, we have problems putting these screws in. So I was sitting in Yuba City and telling to myself, I have to invent a device that actually hopefully works better. So my device uh, is a flat plate that sits against the lamina. Now, lamina, which is this part of the bone, is a solid cortical bone, and it doesn't get affected with osteoporosis. So it's a flat plate that sits against the lamina. It uses composite straps that are stronger than same size steel cable. We call it dyneal. Wraps around the lamina and goes through a hole in the bottom and that we built a clamp into this device so so this tightens like a zip tie once it tightens down it gets tension 
then there's a screw right here that you turn and it clamp clamps the strap. Therefore, this holds onto the vertebrae uh, very solid. So it does that without penetrating the bone and using cortical bone. Then what happened is that I started looking at the literature. As I was developing this, I started looking to the literature to understand spine, what is going on. And what I found out was frightening. Uh, what I found out was that every paper that had come out about these screws said that the screws don't work very well. They do not increase fusion rate and they don't improve outcome. Only one paper uh, was published in 1993 by a physician named Dr. Zdablik that said these screws work beautifully. So for me, that was like, what is going on? All these papers, multi-center, multinational, about seven papers said these screws don't work. One paper worked. So I had to do a little bit of investigation. I would spend night after night after night on Google, try to figure out what is going on. So I said, let's dig a little bit deeper into this paper in 1993. And what I found out, it was crazy. As a matter of fact, I thought I was living in a movie. Every time I thought things is not good, it got even worse. So what happens is that this paper was published in 1993, but was published as a preliminary report. This paper was never finished. It was abandoned in the middle. Then the same author in 1997 started getting paid by the same company that was being sued in 1990s. So from 1997, allegedly for some stuff that he invented, you know, from 1997 to 2005, he got paid about $34 million, same author. Then this author, they put him in charge of another study, very important study in 2005. This time he got caught with his results. So I had to figure out what is going on. To do that, I had to dig deep into the science of spine surgery. I had to dig into the literature. And that's when the book, you know, the later four chapters are. So I start digging in and digging and digging and experimenting actually, because this is the problem. I looked at the literature, entire literature of spine surgery. And I found out that every time there is a talk about biomechanics, there was no talk about biomechanics of the spine itself. It was talk about the screw, the pitch, the thread, the length, all that stuff that's not related to the spine at all. So I'm like, wait a minute. So we have nothing about biomechanics of actually spine, how the spine works. So I said, well, I have to, to answer that question, see what's going on. I have to invent those principles. So I spent about three years writing biomechanics in terms of spine. And what I found out was very frightening as a matter of fact. And this is how it goes. Motion of the vertebrae, if you see, look at the vertebrae. If you see it, this is a flexion and extension. So motion of the vertebrae is relative to the motion of the vertebrae below. So if you have to break it down into these pieces, we call it, we break it down into the motion segment. So if you look at the vertebrae compared to the vertebrae below, the motion of this vertebrae is a rotational motion. We test these screws for pull-out and the screws are made for pull-out, but inside the human body, the screw fails in a 90 degree plane that's off 90 degrees from what we tested. 
when the papers came out, it, uh, we, we just looked the other way. So I did more research about what is going on here. I found out that there's been many uh, investigations by Senate into the world of spine surgery. And what I found out is this. Let's say a company comes out with a product. Then they go befriend a very famous surgeon. Well, what happens is that this famous surgeon starts writing papers <clears throat> positive about those products because the company cannot come up with their <clears throat> literature. Well, guess what? Then 10 years later, when we find out that these products don't work, nobody asks a question. We just move on to something else. Hmm. And in my book, I'm saying that, wait a minute, we have to go back and ask that surgeon who wrote that paper, hmm. come back here. What is going on? And, and, and I'm not the only one that they're saying this. Yeah, yes. let, let, me, let me jump in because I want to put this in a context for people. How common are these spinal fusion surgeries? And what sort of an industry does, does, it, does it yield? Like how, how big a business is this? Super big. About half a million people are getting spinal fusions a year in America only. Whoa. And the problem is that uh, this is a multi-billion, maybe even trillion-dollar market. These screws, each of them are like $1,000 or a few hundred dollars that get implanted. If you ask a spine surgeon right now, neuro, neurosurgery, spine surgeon, or orthopedic surgery, if you ask them the question, they're going to say, screw works great, and screw is as good as it gets. They are stuck that the screw is the best thing that's ever going to have. And that is a dead end. Because once we accept that screw is a good product, that means we are stuck in a dead end because you can't, you can't do much for a screw. Screw is a screw. There's not much you can do for it with it to get improved it or something like that. Hmm. And that what makes spine surgery, this type of a, um, thinking, which is caused by the instrument companies. I blame instrument companies for this. Why? Because they've created a phenomenon that has promoted for us to be, get stuck in this area. Uh, and that's all in my book. So yeah. that's the biggest problem. Yeah. You know, you always got to follow the money. Today's episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus. I love this stuff. It has made a major change in my life, in my metabolism, in my mood, in my ability to put on lean muscle mass and feel as powerful as I want to feel. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. You can go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. You know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, holy cow, Sean, I try this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do. I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives. And this product is, it's absolutely incredible. It's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones, become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. 
right? Who's who's profiting? Who's um, what what industries? What individuals? What manufacturers? You know, when you when you when you go down that rabbit hole, which gets a little nervous to do, you you learn a lot in a really short period of time. Uh, let's go back to that question that you asked initially: Am I a whistleblower or not? And I want to answer that question now because this is the situation. If I'm truly a whistleblower, that means that people have been doing something really bad for a long time. And truthfully, people need to go to jail. That includes even leaders of the field or, or you know, um, company CEOs or so. That means they're conspired to sell the public something that's not working, knowing that's not working. I really don't think that's what's happening here. And I'll explain it to you why. Being a subspecialty of orthopedic surgery, I went through five years of training and this rigid fixation using AO technique with screws and plates has been hammered into my head. So when we did spine surgery and we need some sort of a fixation and these screws came out, these screws were in line with the principles that we had already studied called AO principles. So they all matched. And as a matter of fact, the most important thing that I have to say is that one of the biggest society in the world of spine surgery is what we call AO spine society. So not only we have AO for general orthopedics, but we have AO for spine society, which is one of the biggest societies in the world of spine surgery. But there comes the problem. This is what the problem is. Spine, so what we learned from general orthopedics, we applied it to spine. Problem is, Spine is a completely different entity. Biology is different. Um, biomechanics is different. And the environment is different. So what I'm coming out in this book saying that we apply those principles to spine, thinking that, hey, we knew how to correctly uh, heal the bones. And we apply those principles to spine. And we shouldn't have. Spine surgery is a completely different field. And when the papers came out and said that this stuff doesn't work, we looked the other way because we didn't know what else to do. Hmm. It wasn't until hmm. I started inventing this device and writing the biomechanics that I realized, oh my God, we've been using wrong biomechanics. The way they explained, the way I explained it is that if you want to, let's say, build, build a building, you can use Newtonian physics. But if you want to study and build lasers, you cannot do that knowing Newtonian physics. You have to study quantum physics. That's what I'm trying to say, is that your thinking, your training, everything should be completely different. And I'll ex give you an example. In terms of the extremities, like arms and legs, the concept of rigid fixations works for one important reason. If you have a construct that's not super strong, let's say the bones were not, you know, kind of thing, the screw kind of, you stripped it a couple of times, your, 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 your construct is not very strong. Then you have the ability or option to eliminate gravity. In the arm, you have a sling. In the leg, you can put them in the cast and put them on crutches. So you eliminate gravity. In spine, you mm -hmm. can't eliminate gravity. The second somebody gets up is putting stress in that construct. So 
what I explained in my book is that for spinal fusions, we need a completely new set of devices that I call reactive rigid fixation. So it's not flexible fixation, it's not a rigid fixation, but it's a reactive. That means that it holds it together, but once the patient gets up, walks down, or falls down, it can give a little bit mm-hmm. and it doesn't, screws doesn't tear up. The, ex- the example that I give is that building high rises in San Francisco. We learned that throughout the years that if you make it too stiff, it doesn't work. So if you build a high rise in San Francisco, what do you do? You put it on rollers. You, you make it less stiff so it can bend and dissipate or swing and dissipate that energy. That's exactly what we should do in spine. Mm-hmm. So that's the same concept. So when I explain this to people that I, or my patients, I talk about my book and my research and development, they're like, yeah, isn't it that way? I'm like, no, it's not. When I say this to orthopedic spine surgeons, they just can't go beyond the fact that screw is not the answer. They are hell-bent on the fact that screw is the best it comes. Why? Because for five years, they have been hammered into their brain that right. screw is the answer for everything. You know, back to the whistleblower title that that you're resistant to it makes it makes sense to me you know it's it seems to me like so many so many treatments and so many surgeries so many um um procedures that people go through is that that if it's based on the foundation of of science that's lacking or potentially um you know um purposely Wrong science. Mis- yeah misleading in in some way but that's just what everybody rallies around. It's like, we, we didn't know we were taught this, that this is the way that we should be doing things. We were just taught that this was the key to these surgeries and, and the people that suffer are the the recipients of, of said procedures because the, uh, the leaders in the medical field, that's what they were taught too. And it's, it's a, it's a tricky situation. What are some common injuries that leads someone to need this, uh, this type of lower back, uh, lower spinal surgery. I always tell my patients that, you know, surgery is only when everything fails. And as a surgeon, my job is not to tell people that you need surgery. No, my job as a surgeon is to tell the patient if I can help them or not. The decision for surgery, no surgery is purely your decision. I tell my patient, I said, If you think you don't need surgery, that means you don't need surgery. If you think you can't live like this, that's when we do surgery. So that's one of the things I wanted to make clear for the public to understand. Now, as I said, my practice is different than the rest. Why? Because early in my practice, I realized that if I just do surgery, doesn't matter if I become good at it or not, I just become a technician. The patient's being sent to me. I do the surgery and what happens after, you know, I can't control it. So I decided very early that I need to be involved on the beginning stages of the disease, like injections and therapies. So I follow my patients from beginning through these stages. And then if they have surgery, then I follow them further. So I have had significant amount of knowledge in terms of non-operative. If you ask other surgeons, they totally don't understand in terms of the injections and the therapies. 
but I have significant amount of knowledge in that, and I'm going to share it with you. Okay. One of the most important questions that patients ask me, okay, when I get hurt, what do I do? Where do I start? Well, uh, I tell you that once you start having pain, it, it all depends on the symptoms, of course. If your pain is really bad, like you have a knife stuck in your back, then you got to go to the emergency room and they'll get some X-rays or MRIs or something like that. But let's say it is a pain that it is bad, but it's not like horrible bad. Like you can get some sleep at least. Then you got to wait a week or so or whichever time the symptoms allows you for it to let it calm down. And great majority of these people who have back pain within a week or two, they get better. So let's say you have a week or two, you didn't get better. Then my suggestion would be to go to the local chiropractor and chiropractors mostly, they practice, they have practice in the strip malls. So I'm, wherever you live, I'm sure you're not going to be far away from a chiropractor. You can walk to the local chiropractor and tell them what your problem is. Now, there comes a difference between me and the other one of my colleagues. I don't want to put all my colleagues into one basket, but most of them are in one basket. Um, why? Most of the orthopedic surgeons or, or most of the spine surgeons, somehow they're connected with physical therapy. So when they see somebody that have pain, the first stage, they send them to physical therapy as opposed to chiropractor. I'm different. I prefer chiropractic care more than physical therapy. Uh, for example, a lot of patients, when they get when they get the back pain, they go to their regular doctor, an MD. That MD is going to send you to physical therapy. For some reason, physical therapy is more associated with the medical doctors or so. But I will explain to you why I like chiropractic care more than physical therapy. And this is how it goes. When we do physical, when we do orthopedic or orthopedic ailments, you know, mostly arms and leg problem, extremely problem, physical therapy is absolutely awesome. Um, well, wait, let me, let's explain, uh, before that, let's explain what is pain and what is injury. When you have pain in your back, that means you have somewhere inflammation, some area is inflamed. When there's an injury, let's say the disc ruptures or so, that area becomes inflamed. When, what is inflammation? Inflammation is body's construction site. That's how body repairs itself. So in, inflammation is nothing bad, but sometimes it becomes a problem and causes pain. The way to treat that, we know we can treat it by decompressing the area. When the inflammation happens, those tendons and ligaments start contracting. When they contract, when they get tighter, the pressure increases and so is the pain. So by stretching these ligaments, you reduce the pressure and therefore the pain gets better. We know that, we have great evidence for that. In the extremity, we do that by stretching exercises like yoga or therapy, you know, which basically passive and active range of motion basically in strengthening. Well, if you want to apply that principle to spine, to stretch the deep ligament, these ligaments are very deep in the middle of your core, basically, the discs, the facet joints and ligaments, they're very deep. To stretch them, to kind of decompress them, you need to put the patient in an extreme range of motion. Well, unfortunately, patients don't tolerate that. You just can't do it. That's why when it comes to spine, 
I prefer chiropractic care with their manipulations. They do a high amplitude, um, kind of a very quick uh, crack and pop to break off those scar tissues. Uh, so they do those manipulations. So I believe uh, in spine, chiropractic care definitely has an upper hand to physical therapy. Um, so I, 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 that's my recommendation. So the question is then, uh, who do I go to? Any physical therapy? I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's very hard for me to say which chiropractic or chiropractor is good or bad. I mean, I don't have a criteria to say, asking these questions or check their uh, credentials or not. What I tell patients is that go to a, a local guy, you know, the guy who is the closest to your house, go to that and let him help you. Uh, if he helps you, you better good. If you're not better or if he hurts you, tell him. Tell him because he needs to know what's happening with you. If he doesn't know, then, then he's going to do some cookie cutter thing that does to everybody. So if you tell him, and he does mean you're still not better, then maybe you want to try somebody else. Um, if you go to somebody else, another chiropractor, maybe a little bit further, and same thing happens, then maybe chiropractic care is not for you. Great majority of people, they get better with chiropractic care. And, uh, and that's the first thing that I recommend patients to do. Let's say you do the chiropractic care, you're not better, then that's when we have to get an imaging study an MRI per se, to see what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, uh, we can send the patients to pain management and injections and then come and see me. You know, little by little, trying the least invasive, least uh, jarring sort of things to, to, to go down that pathway. And, and, you know, I do know en enough people to know a few who have back pain and it's like all consuming, right? It is, it is, pervasive it's all the time it hurts when they go to bed it hurts when they wake up it hurts when they sit it hurts when they walk it can be a, a completely consuming experience to have um to have you know back injury that you're having to deal with if you if you had to to give you know a, a really key takeaway from the book maybe something that's that, that would surprise people aside from aside from the uh the limitations of of the the most common device for for fusion what what's another what's another tidbit that do you think people might be really surprised to learn about uh about back injuries and back surgeries i'll tell there's a whole bunch i mean as i said this is my experience of 20 years of practice in there i'll tell you a few things one is that you are absolutely right the problem with back pain is that you're not sick you look great except you have a knife stuck in your back. Yeah. So you have this problem, people believe in you in a way, you know? So you would go to a surgeon, surgeon might not believe. You. I mean, it's just, it's just really crazy. That's one of the things that I say in my book is that we better start believing our patients. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the first thing we need to do. Because um, when I was in training, I was trained that, hey, if the patient is depressed, do not operate, do not touch him if the patient is depressed. And when I started my practice, I'm like, Everybody, who's not going to be depressed yeah. when they have back pain? <laughs> you right. know, that's just crazy. So, uh, so that's one thing. It's just, that's a difficulty. So what I tell my patient is that I would like my patients to bring their significant other to the visit. 
because these are something that ruins relationships. I mean, ruins marriages, basically. So I want the significant other to see the MRI to see what's going on with the patient. Mm. That is, I even tell the patients, you know, you got to bring your wife, you got to bring your husband. I want them to see this. That is very important thing uh, that I want people to understand. Second thing is that, and this is another thing that why spine surgery is so difficult. In my world, looks don't matter. Uh, why? Let's say we get an MRI and uh, you look at the disc and that's the first question the patient asks me, how bad does it look? Back pain is not like cancer that, uh, oh my God, it looks bad or, oh, no big deal. Don't worry about it, it's very small. No, in my world, looks don't matter. Uh, it's very well known. This is a well-known fact that you can have two discs next to each other. The one looks horrible, the one above it is not that. It's just the one little tear in there. It turns out the bad one is not what's causing the pain. The one next to it is the problem. And that's mm -hmm. why sometimes spine surgery is not successful because as spine surgeons, we tend to operate on the worst looking discs. Mm -hmm. But this is how it goes. It's not the damage that causes the pain. It's the body's attempt to repair the damage that causes the pain, which is the inflammation. And you cannot see the inflammation. Well, it, That's it, what makes... Is it, also, is it also about compensation for the other parts of the body that are trying to correct? Like not just the inflammation, but like if, you know, if, if we think of, uh, we think of like Jenga, right? You pull out a piece from Jenga and then the stuff above it starts to wiggle. It becomes less stable. So if you've got two discs, the one below looks terrible but the one above it has been compensating to try to make things right and, and, to, and to stabilize. I don't know if that's a thing. It just sort of occurred to me. Like, is that, is that kind of what you're saying too? Sure, it can. But, but, but what I'm saying is that uh, two discs next to each other, and, they're, they're, and if they're next to each other, their biomechanics are very similar. I mean, the amount of stress that they see is very similar. And bottom line is this. What makes spine surgery so difficult is that we cannot look at the MRI or we don't have a study to tell us where the pain is coming from. That's the problem. Right. We can, we can guess where the pain is coming from by looking at the MRI. And sometimes it's easy. You can look at the MRI. All the discs are good. One is bad. I know what the problem is. But great many times you have three or four discs that are not good. So where the pain is coming from? We don't know. Wow. So that's why a lot of times surgeon operates on a bad looking disc. Patient, and the problem is that when you're doing the surgery, patients sleep. They cannot tell you that, oh, doc, you got it. That's it. Patients sleep. So you do the surgery, you wake up, patient wakes up, and you walk in the next day with your fingers crossed and say, wow. it'll work. I've mm -hmm. done more than 4,000 surgeries. And every single one of them, I walk in the next day with my fingers crossed wow. and thank god i have a good you know record that's why that's why i wrote in my book is that the training that we have right now for spine surgery is bad we study five years to become an orthopedic surgeon and that five years our exposure to spine surgery is very low then we do one year of fellowship and we become spine surgeons and they release us into the society. And 
after 20 years of practice, I've realized that. And if you ask every spine, they'll tell you the same thing. Doing the surgery is the easy part. Figuring out where the pain is coming from, that's the most difficult part. Wow. And that's, and that's what it takes years to even get a glimpse of it. I mean, when the patient comes to see me, uh, the way they walk, the way they sit, the way they get up from a chair, the, what they tell me in terms of where the pain is, it's all a clue for me. And thank God, you know, beginning of my practice, I decided that I don't want to hire a physical uh, nurse, uh, nurse practitioner or PA. You know, I'm in practice by myself. I don't have anybody. When the patient comes to see me, they see me. If I have to, I'm the one take the stitches out. I'm the one write their prescriptions. So I know what, how my patients are doing and what they tell me. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, some of my colleagues, and I don't want to complain about them because I, you know, I don't want to complain something and then later on do exact same thing. Uh, but sometimes some of the surgeons, they have PAs. So when you go to see a surgeon, you don't see the surgeon, you see the PA. And then they do the surgery and then off you go. Uh, mm. But what I want to tell the patients, when I, what I want my patients to understand is that we don't, the, the, the spine surgery has a bad rap because we don't have a study to tell us where the pain is coming from. We just yeah. don't have it. Right. And that's one of the biggest things that I've talked about, that it lays the map for future of spine surgery, that we have to become a collective and educate our patients what we're trying to do. Hmm. Because right now, spine surgery is all about having a product from a company that's going to come in and save everybody. And that's not how spine surgery works. Um, it's all about making money and profits right now. We got to yeah. put that to the side and get to the basics and fix spine surgery from the base. Spine surgery was never meant to be a subspecialty of orthopedic surgery or neurosurgery. It's too complex to be a subspecialty of neurosurgery or orthopedic surgery. But I want to tell you something else. That it's in my book that I want my patients to understand. A lot of my patients beside the surgery and all that stuff. A lot of my patients ask me this question, what can I do to get better? Okay, that's every patient asks me that question. What can I do to get better? Well, we don't know. We don't have the knowledge to tell you what you can do to alter your course and actually get better and better. But we know how you can wreck yourself. And that's by lifting. Lifting is what's going to, trigger your back pain. I can only imagine how maddening that must be for patients that come in and say, what can I do to get better? And you're, and it's just like, it's too complex for me. Stretch. Maybe that works. Maybe that's bad. You know, uh, walk, Why? get, you know, get 10,000 steps a day. Maybe that helps it. Maybe that exacerbates it, you know, drink bone broth. That's probably a net benefit, but like, uh, that must be, that must be such a frustrating moment for somebody to come and say, "What can I do?" And you say, "We don't know." So sorry, please continue. Sure, sure, but but that's not even the worst part of it. The worst part of it is that sometimes people come in with years of pain, miserable pain, and I have to tell them they come to us as a last resort that we're their savior, and I have to tell them some of them that I'm sorry, I cannot help you, and that's the worst 
most difficult thing that I have to deal with. But let's go back to uh, how you can wreck yourself. Um, when I started my practice, I would not believe my patients. I'm like, they would tell me that they did something and they didn't start hurting till two, three days later. And I was like, is that true? Is that possible? Till I started seeing a whole bunch of people saying that. And then it hit me. And this is true. You can lift something right now. Let's say a couch or so. You can be absolutely, I'm talking about absolutely pain-free up to three days, maybe even longer. Two, three days later, you could be doing something very trivial, reaching for a piece of paper, getting up from bed in the morning, and you're like, oh, and you come to me and tell me, Dr. Azzi, I'm in so much pain, I wasn't doing anything. And I have to tell him, yeah, well, go back, <laughs> you know, two, three days, you were doing something, what happened here, you know? And this is for chronic conditions, not, you know, somebody who's had this pain for about a few months or so. Uh, I don't want to talk about the injuries, but I'm talking about aggravation, you know, what aggravates the situation. Uh, and because people don't remember, because there's a delay, people can't connect what is going on. So what I tell my patient is this, if you have a back condition, you got to have a memory chip in your head. Every time you lift something, you have to go up and say, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Oh, that did it. So what happens is that throughout the years, months or years, you have a data, you compile a data in terms of what triggers your back. When you have that, then you stay from that. You, what we call, what we call a model activity modification. So basically not lifting heavy weight. Well, some of my patients say, I'm not lifting anything. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't do anything. And I tell them, look, you might think that you're not lifting anything, but when you lift something, all that weight, your upper body and that weight goes right through that disc. In the lumbar spine, if you look, bones stack up on top of each other. And these facet joints are vertically oriented. That means all the weight in the upper body and whatever you're lifting goes right through that disc. That disc is holding you. And you don't know what's the limit for that disc. You can be a big, humongous, buff guy, but once that disc is injured, it can be triggered by 20 pounds, mm. you know? So then uh, they, they say the chain is as strong as its weakest link. So that means your limit is 20 pounds, mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know? So I tell people, I said, even if you don't lift heavy weight, you are living, you are you know, taking care of yourself, you're taking trash out, you go shopping, you get water bottles, you know, you're constantly putting that pressure. So you got to have a memory chip in your head. So you have to do activity modification. And that's how you can avoid aggravation. The problem is this though, that limit, once you find out, it doesn't always stay in that spot it can start moving toward what we call daily activity. What does that mean? Let's say uh, you, your disc gets triggered or gets aggravated by, let's say, 40 pounds. Uh, what's a daily activity? Let's say you go to a uh, store and you get a couple of groceries and stuff. Let's say 20, 25 pounds or so. Once that limit of that disc starts moving throughout the years or months, gets less and less, let's say from 40 to 35 to 30, 
to 25, then what's going to happen is that even daily activity triggers that pain. When that happens, then you can't continue living like that. That's when we have to do surgery. That's when the, the problem, you can't avoid it by mod activity modification. That's, uh, you're done. You know, you can't do anything. You got to, that, at that point, the only thing that's left is surgery. And doesn't matter how big of a surgery with how many bad possible outcomes and stuff. At some point, at that point, we have to intervene because patient cannot go on anymore. Shocking, some shocking information. And, you know, it makes me, makes me want to treat my spine a little better. Makes me want to improve my posture. Makes me want to, you know, strengthen. I, I found a lot of success with, in fact, I've done an episode just recently about uh, foundation training, which was created uh, by chiropractors. And it's, and it's all about strengthening the, the trunk, strengthening the lower core to stabilize, you know, so that you're, you're lifting and moving and, you know, um, you know, mechanically sound and, and strong. Um, but this is just makes me want to treat my back. Well, um, let me explain to you something. Let me explain yeah. to you something. I told you earlier that I like chiropractors, right? This is where me and chiropractor would kind of diverge. Um, and I have a lot of friends that are a chiropractor and I love them. And I'm actually here to tell you that I'm probably the only spine surgeon that would say, I actually learn from chiropractors. I have learned, well, you know, as a spine surgeon, I learned from everybody. I learned from my patients. I learned from my mom, you know, everybody, because everybody's so different. So I've learned quite a bit from chiropractors. And every time I see a spine surgeon that gets up and badmouths chiropractors, I want to just, you know, just go up to him and say, stop, just stop. So, but there's one area that me and chiropractors would diverge, and I'll explain to you. So chiropractors, always tell you to strengthen the core, strengthen the core, make yourself stronger so you can have a stronger back, basically. Yeah? Well, let's figure out what does that mean, strengthening your core. To me, if somebody says strengthen your core, that means you exercise, the core exercises to build muscle around the spine, right? I mean, is that, that's, that's what you think, right? Well, because the thing is, you cannot do anything to the disc uh, you cannot make your disc stronger. Uh, we don't know that knowledge. I, I doubt if there's a way that you can make your disc stronger. If you find something for that, uh, we'll give you the Nobel Prize. No, you know, no, no contingency. It's yours. But when you say uh, strengthen your core, uh, that means that you build muscle around it so you get stronger. Well, guess what? As I explained before, now. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. You should do that. You should strengthen your core because you got to exercise. You got it's a whole. It's not just one factor. It's a multi-factor. You because when you strengthen your core, you eat right, you sleep well, you feel good about yourself. You uh, you know all these good things happen that you should do. But when I hear from chiropractors that you got to strengthen your core, uh, they imply to me that you make your back strong so you can lift heavier weight. I tell them, look. When you have, you can build all the muscle around the spine all you want. The muscle doesn't hold weight, doesn't support weight. So if you lift something, all that weight goes through the middle of that disc anyways. So what I tell my patients is that you got to strengthen your core. you got to do that. But it's not a green light to go lift heavier weights. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That disc has a mind of its own, hmm. and we just don't know where it's going to go. 
Is it going to get better and better? Because some people get better. That's why at spine surgeons, we don't recommend surgery because some people get better. Not, you don't know who, you don't know what. Uh, and the longer that you have that problem, let's say more than a year, a year is a good time to give a back pain to get better uh, by what we call non-operative treatments. Once you pass a year, chances of your back pain getting better by itself or non-operative treatment gets less and less. Mm. So let's say you give it, gave it a year and uh, you're not better. Uh, then that's, we have to do surgery and fix that area. But of course that's patient's decision. But what I was gonna say is that strengthening your core is good. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying absolutely you gotta do that. But at the same time, you still, the best thing for you not to lift heavy weight. Yeah. 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 That's helpful. Well, this has been, this has been super interesting. You know, I, it's, it's, it's obvious that you have passion and conviction for this, you know, that, that you have done your research, that you, you've, you've made your own innovations and for something as common as, as back surgery, uh, for, you know, I, I would imagine that there's probably more back injuries, more back pain coming because we are more sedentary. We're working from home. We're sitting in office chairs in our home offices like this. It's, it's, uh, it's going to get worse. There's going to be more folks with back issues. So it's, uh, important work. Uh, where, where can people learn more about the book? Where can they learn more about you? Um, well, my book's name is, um, uh, corporate spine it's for sale october 18 2022 from amazon all they have to go do uh go to amazon books and put down corporate spine the way um corporations has taken over the world of spine surgery this is this is not right well i appreciate your honesty and openness and i appreciate your willingness to um to Tell people the story to 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 allow people to understand because something as common as um as back injury and back treatment um potentially leading to back uh, surgery is uh, really important for folks to know. Well, this this has been uh, a really really informative podcast, and uh, I just want to say thank you, Doctor, for for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you for having me here. It was a lot of fun.